0: Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC. I think
1: in our last podcast, we spoke about the term whistleblower champions or integrity champions. Uh, at the end of the day, they're the bread and butter of a program. You can have a compliant policy, fit for purpose procedure that can work really well when a report comes through, but uh, many times we note that these integrity leaders, these champions are the ones who make or break a program at an
0: organization. Welcome to the Jersey Professional Podcast. I'm Kwame Slusher. I'm the editor of the Jersey Professional Online and Jersey Professional Magazine. And today we have the CEO from your call, Nathan Luker. Hi, Nathan. How are you? Good, Kwame. How are you doing? So um, it's good to have you on the podcast again. Um, it's a sort of really timely to have you on this podcast because I recently did a recording um, talking to... Uh, guy called Phil Preston who's known as the collaboration guy who was talking about the importance of having psychologically safe environments and you know the impact that would have on trust and collaboration and why this is relevant is that of course if you don't have that trust and collaboration um, then there are chances that your sort of aggrieved employee or the person who's seen wrongdoing might of course step outside the organization and report it to someone like Adele Ferguson, a journalist, and of course that is a really ugly thing to happen to a company who doesn't handle their complaints properly. But, I mean, obviously I digress, but really just to get into that introduction sense of, you know, why it's important to have strong sort of whistleblowing procedures within your organisation, even beyond the legislation. The last time we spoke, um, obviously we were talking in the context of the whistleblowing amendments, but it just which had just passed the, the lower house at the time, and I guess what would be interesting to know is months on, what conversations have you been hearing um, in terms of whistleblowing and implementing whistleblowing procedures within the organisations? How have conversations changed?
1: It's a great point about psychological safety. and maybe we, we can get to that and it links in nicely to uh, uh, the policy work and our response to legislation. Um, in terms of conversations changing, uh, we've seen nothing but Positive uh, embracement of, of the changes and, and the policy requirements uh, that's been outlined by ASIC um, and, and organisations of all sizes. What's been surprising is the some of the organisations who do not qualify for uh, the new legislation and the requirements under uh, that legislation in terms of, for example, having a policy, having it fit for purpose, and having it well trained the organisation are still using the new uh, the new legislation, I guess new standards in a way, as a North Star, mm. as a best practice uh, type of perspective and that's incredibly pleasing. So in a way the bar has been lifted for organisations across Australia, even those with 30 people uh, or 20 people or up obviously into the thousands. In terms of how it's changing, I think we're seeing things in terms of... Uh, plain English being used within policy Uh, and a little bit of allocentric uh, behaviour by those writing policies trying to understand stakeholders from the stakeholders perspective what information is crucial for them to understand when they need to report either as a bystander or a victim how to give and serve that information to them easily to understand key items like protections support where to, where to speak up and the type of conduct that qualifies. All really important and sometimes got glossed over mm-hmm. um, before the legislation. So that's incredibly pleasing. The, the importance of that is, as you know, and, and the policy and the procedure uh, creates the foundation or the core of the program, uh, which enables trust to begin to build. It enables procedural consistency and that permeates itself into psychological safety. An ethical framework, etc., to the organisations. So uh, definitely linked to that concept.
0: Okay, that's good. Uh, and, and you've brought up policies and procedures a few times. Uh, the last time we spoke, um, you know, we did say that yes, there were some organisations are doing some good stuff, but that you'd also seen in the space uh, situations where you had these policies that weren't necessarily being followed. Um, has that changed? Mm-hmm. Do you, you have people, you know, not the dust off their policies? <laughs> Absolutely. Um,
1: Both both policy uh, reviews and gap analysis have been fairly damning, Uh, I I guess to say bluntly. uh, Many policies have been inadequate Uh, and when we're introduced to an organisation that's one of the first things we we look at and help help the organisation consider and review in line with the new ASIC guidelines. the intention is always there. The, the intention is generally positive to want to create a good program, but there's a, a far greater understanding now of what's required to do that. Generally, what uh, results with that process is an understanding or an appreciation of the complexity of these programs uh, and how getting them to work out of the organization over the long term is incredibly difficult. So, as a byproduct, um, training. For senior executives the board and what is termed eligible recipients has uh, being one of our fastest growing uh, services for, for obvious reasons um, but uh, a little bit more depth to understand your roles and responsibilities as an eligible recipient obviously the penalties uh, that can apply for, for uh, inappropriate action or activity in relation to confidentiality and the like and also understanding how to procedurally consistently investigate in a procedurally consistent fashion, I should say, uh, when a matter comes through in the program uh, and maybe received by someone in the organization uh, who is outside the whistleblower committee or whistleblower officer
0: committee. So that's definitely been a trend. Right. And obviously, you know, back to that sort of policies and procedures and enacting them, have you, you know, obviously. We we hope that the policies and procedures are adequate. Are, have you seen any situations where the policies and procedures might not really be the right fit for that organisation, or might not meet the issues at hand? Those days are ending
1: a little bit, with people putting uh, these policies under greater scrutiny and there being clear guidance. Uh, but yes, a cookie cutter approach, uh, downloading something from the internet uh, and just doing a tick box. Uh, approach to policy development and procedure development uh, may get across the line from a technical compliance perspective, uh, but doesn't really hold water when a matter comes through the door or to demonstrate that you've got sufficient fit-for-purpose procedures, commensurate to the organisation type, that you can easily carry out procedural consistency uh, when reviewing a matter in your case flow, and then ensuring there's proper documentation and, and getting compliance with the law. So those, those things start to fall away when something isn't sufficient. You only know that downstream. It's difficult to know that at the start. Uh, also, uh, in terms of uh, providing support services, uh, is, is and protection now, they're complex sometimes uh, they're, they need to be uh, provided to the individual ahead of time, they need to be clearly aware of what can be afforded to them without asking so to speak uh, and, and that has repercussions in the way that you handle a report, the order uh, and a range of steps that need to be taken place so that uh, you can find yourself in hot water uh, and you don't normally know that until you're dealing with uh, a report or simultaneous reports uh, that have come through
0: Right, yeah, yeah, and definitely I know that, at least from the legislative perspective, I know that there have been some calls from former whistleblowers uh, that there need to be greater protections um, sort of enshrined within the legislation, um, you know, for those who do speak out, you know, who fear that might be some retaliation.
1: Um, yeah, that, that's exactly right. And, and you used a journal, journalist example earlier they're called emergency disclosures and one of their functions, their purposes of that being there is for organisations who qualify for the legislation to take it seriously uh, 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 I'm sure that uh, most, most individuals would want to be able to speak up to their organisation and no doubt they listen they keep them safe and they respond Uh, It it sounds simple but can sometimes get uh, uh, mixed up and not be the case and then that allows you then to activate that emergency disclosure under a range of qualifying uh, items uh, that need to be satisfied. Uh, But this has been developed to be robust. Uh, It's been developed to to get noticed and to ensure that organisations embrace the changes and ensure that it's activated uh, ahead of 1 January 2020.
0: Excellent. So I guess a look to the future now. Um, you know what? You know, obviously your call. You do a lot of work in that sort of whistleblowing space and helping companies build these processes in there. Um, is there anything coming up into the future in terms of what you'll be doing to help um, entities, both you know, nonprofit um, or public entities, or you know, anybody who's covered by this legislation or just looking to do the right thing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So. This being our core service, well, we're a whistleblowing service, service and have been for you know 15 years. So uh, this is what we do and we're, we're very focused on uh, both types of stakeholders, the individual, uh, treating them compassionately with care, but also providing a rigorous, robust service to organisations to be able to receive the facts quickly. Uh, and seamlessly while protecting the individual's anonymity should they choose to remain anonymous. So we're heavily focused on that and doing it better and using technology to enable that as well. I think some of the things for us is ensuring that organisations have access to compliant and best practice training for their eligible recipients. Uh, I think in our last podcast, we spoke about the term whistleblower champions or integrity champions. Uh, At the end of the day, they the bread and butter of a program. You can have a compliant policy, a fit-for-purpose procedure that can work really well when a report comes through. But uh, many times we, we note that these integrity leaders, these champions, are the ones who make or break a program at an organization. They need to ensure that their covert actions of them personally, uh, to use and Dr. Simon Longstaff's uh, uh, terminology, how they act in the shadows, mm-hmm. so their ethical behavior, is crucial to the lifeblood of the, the,
0: the program, of your Speak Up program. Uh, so we, with the West, we're focusing
1: a lot of our attention there, both in terms of technology and tools to enable them to make good moral choices, that are in line with their organization's preferences and the law, but also to help them understand uh, to identify issues when they when they come up on, on uh, uh, through the service. Sort of like an iceberg, mm-hmm. you, know, you don't always receive it. Doesn't just get landed. On your your plate, in a nice package of misconduct for you to go and follow some steps. They're complicated. They happen at the same time that BAU is occurring for your your standard uh, job position. Uh, You need to go through some uh, risk assessment, data reasoning. There's a whole range of things you need to do. Um, Many of these reports are mixed conduct types to make it even more complicated. Part of the report may not qualify for a whistleblowing, uh, a whistleblowing matter, and part of it may. And may. So there's different uh, uh, specialists within the organization that need to be called in. It's an incredibly complicated position to be in as a whistleblowing officer or an eligible recipient. So into the future, we're helping detangle that, simplify that process to ensure that people can work safely and comply in a compliant fashion. Uh, your calls also work getting many clients uh, in a range of, uh, I guess, uh, uh, capacities to build, uh, speak up brands mm. and programs, so to attach to attach their whistleblowing programs to the culture of the organisation, and to enable their leaders to demonstrate they have a zero tolerance to misconduct, and if you speak up, you're safe and something will be done about it. Now we play one role where one spoke at a wheel within that goal and that vision Uh, and bringing that to the forefront of the organization and getting it out of the shadows as you said so the policies and collecting dust moving away from just that whistleblower word and helping us be part of the discussion those psychologically safe discussions uh, and and, then allowing that to occur is is uh, one of our key priorities over the next 12 months with clients
0: all right. Well, hopefully in our next podcast, we could shine a light on some of those shadows and sort of have a look at, you know, investigation processes. And, you know, once that complaint has come through and it does qualify as, you know, a whistleblowing complaint, um, how do you go about investigating it? Um, I think that would be the next question. That oh, that'd to- be brilliant. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thanks a lot for your time, Nathan. Thanks,
1: Tommy. We really appreciate
0: uh, being on the show again. Thanks. This podcast was a production of the Governance Risk and Compliance Institute and the music was produced by Rob Neary.